0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a podcast presented by SCORE. I'm Elena, and we are back with our special guest, Tom from College Essay Guys team. Yay!
1: Back, back, back again. Thank you for having me for now. This is our third round together. So
0: Yeah, I'm so happy.
1: The best things in life come in threes. I'm trying to think of the Powerpuff Girls, for instance. I think I may have brought them up last time, too
0: i think so too
1: yeah i was powerpuff girls with some friends for halloweens and we we ate (laughs) as as some kids may say
0: and left no crumbs like the the three bears goldilocks and the three bears
1: only crumbs left are from the cake that i ate in bed last night it's a lemon cake (laughs) from the most amazing bakery slash deli in west hollywood i'm happy yeah Drop the link in the show notes, but it's probably not that relevant to the topic at hand, which is drum roll. <laughs> take <a> it <point>,
0: <laughs> We're going to be talking about five essential things for you to do before senior year. So this episode is for especially our juniors out there and also our seniors. These are just some things that would be really great if you could implement or finish earlier than senior year. So seniors, if you're listening, don't panic. You still have time. You can still do these things, but definitely if you're a junior or even a sophomore or a freshman, listen up, because these are going to be really helpful for you to implement before you get to senior year. So I say we dive in.
1: All right, let's do it.
0: Okay. So the first one that I think is super essential, and this is something that you and I have talked about in previous podcast episodes too, is that college search can be fun. It sounds like it should make sense, like college search should be fun. But sometimes you can kind of lose the fun if your counselors are telling you, you got to search for colleges, you got to blah, 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 your teachers, your parents or guardians, like everyone telling you, you got to search for colleges. Sometimes it's a little hard to keep the fun alive in that. But I firmly believe, even from my experience, that College search can be fun. So, Tom, I'd love to hear your thoughts and tips on this. I know that one thing that my sister did that was really helpful, and she's my younger sister, but I wish that I did it when I was looking for colleges, is she just started looking for colleges on Instagram. So, instead of just scrolling on Instagram and looking at people's pictures, which is fun and you can do in your downtime, she would take that time to look at college's Instagrams and look at their clubs and see the fun things that students were doing, which you can also do on TikTok if you want to see videos. Like that's a fun way to integrate looking for colleges into your daily life without it feeling like a chore that you have to do starting senior year.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I I think the tip about making it fun It's one of those kind of like, yeah, yeah, college fun, like, sure. Right. Um, But truly, you know, in working with students over the past few years and in lots of different capacities, you know, on the admission side um, and hearing more about their college search processes from that lens, and then also working with high school students as a college counselor in a school. But one of the things that I get so excited about are when students stumble upon through things like social media or through... However, like YouTube videos, whatnot, mm-hmm. they stumble upon kind of like features of a college that actually get them really excited to attend or a, a certain feature or program or a internship experience that they hear about from a student. The more that you are able to kind of see yourself at these different campuses and, and see things that kind of like really like, you know, your eyes widen up when you hear about a certain opportunity that's available, like that does bring in a fun dose or ratio, like into your college search process, where there are a lot of elements that are a little more administrative and sometimes Mm -hmm. people might say a little more tedious and, and anxiety inducing. So this is one where I definitely think that passive kind of like sponge, like absorption of like what colleges are putting out there is such a great strategy because You know, ideally kind of towards the end of your junior year you have a little more of a solidified sense of the colleges that you'd like to apply to, and maybe not the specific schools per se, but at least the particular qualities and elements of these campuses that are in alignment with what you're looking for in a school or fit you most based on maybe college visits you've done or whatnot, but definitely passively kind of like adding colleges to your daily routine through things like social media. If that's the way that you consume media, if you're like a podcast person, there are so many great podcasts. This is not meant to be a shameless book for the sport podcast, but it <laughs> happens to be a great one to plug. Um, and there are so many out there colleges or not even in, like individual colleges have podcasts. I know for example, at Pomona where I used to work, we had SageCast. Such a nice way to get to learn more about like what it's actually like to be a student or a professor or anyone at that campus. They would bring on alumni speakers. They would have students and professors who, you know, the professors were their mentor in their lab who would talk about kind of like what it was like to work on whatever project they were working on over the summer and just about that relational quality that they had. So there are many colleges that offer similar types of media to consume and they try to do a good job. Of putting out content that makes sense to different people based on their routines and preferences and lifestyles. So for many of you in high school, you know, obviously right now TikTok is just demographically the most popular social media app for those who are in high school. Who's to say, you know, next year whether or not that will change? But as of right now, many colleges and universities have their own social media accounts, not just the overall account for the college, but the a lot of admissions offices also too uh, have accounts and have um, content that they put out there. So I'd yeah. say those to your roster is a great idea because it's a way for you kind of just to learn more about kind of the fun elements of what it's like to be a student there and simultaneously kind of subconsciously, especially if you like jot down or like save in their save folder on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, Mm -hmm. save some of the reels, TikToks, images that do have elements of a school that really appeal to you. You can even use those eventually down the road for writing essays to those particular colleges. Right. A lot of colleges have essays that are like, why do you want to go to Brown? Right. And you'll be able to have unique anecdotes or things that you've stumbled upon that are going to be a little different than kind of like the basic. It's a good school. Right. Like, you know, have a little more color and flavor and show a little more intentionality there too to your search. And I I, I always say, like, you know, I I bring up this anecdote of a student that I worked with previously who he knew he was really interested in um, computer science. Um, so he was like targeting programs that ha- or colleges that had a good computer science program. And that's all well and good. But once he was able to kind of start like researching, I remember there's one school on his list. I think it was UC Boulder or something. And he was like, you know, honestly, this isn't really that high on my list, but like, I know I want to have a balanced college list. So I'm going to throw out an application in there. And then I remember he came to me with, um, we were going going to be brainstorming some ideas for a supplemental essay. I think he needed to write for them. And he was like, I am so excited about the school now I had, you know, before I was kind of just like pathously like eh, it's going to be fine, but he's like in doing research like I stumbled upon this really cool computer science program study abroad program that where you get to spend a whole semester doing CS related things I think it was in Hungary maybe. Um, it was like, that's like exactly the type of place I want to go because I, you know, my family's from Romania and I love kind of going back to that region of the world. And like, it just made me so much more excited to, you know, be a student there. And so I love hearing moments like that. Like when I have students who come to me, like all electrified about something that they stumbled upon in their research. So again, not needing to do quite so much of a deep dive. I'd say like (laughs) starting like early of senior year, but adding trickling kind of in forms of media to like get that going is definitely I'd say a really great practice to to start
0: yeah I totally agree first I feel like things like that like you said the study abroad program that's something that you could find on their website but you'd more easily find on Instagram or TikTok or some kind of form of social media because it's one thing like you said to know the nitty-gritty details like exactly how many students go to the school what's the admissions rate all of that stuff But it's another thing to see students having fun, actual students who go to that school, like what they're involved in, whether or not they have positive experiences, like it's very different, those two things. And one is a certain level of research that I think can come later in in your college search process, which we'll actually, we'll talk about in one of our five things. But the other one, you know, looking on social media is like, okay, wait, I'm kind of getting The idea that I could go here, like you said, and and also having a specific reason for why you want to go there for the why us essay. Um,
1: Yeah. And for broadening out your college list, because it's, it's really easy for students to fall in love with like the most prestigious or the most elite schools that they've heard of for many years. Right. mm -hmm. And the more that you identify what it is you like about those schools, the more you'll be equipped to add other colleges to your list that have a commonality like that. Right. So say, for example, I brought up Brown before, but just we'll continue that trend um yeah. you know say you're watching some students instagram story about how you know a day in the life at brown and you learn more about their open curriculum and how they have a really a lot more open course choices that are available to students and less of you know um core requirements that they have to complete compared to a lot of other colleges and universities out there brown is not the only school that has an open curriculum or a really flexible curriculum right yeah. so that's really like exciting you about the place and really kind of getting you seeing yourself there, you at least have more clarity about kind of what other elements and and dream. I like, I always try to kind of steer students away from like putting together a list of dream schools or a dream school. I think it's, if you have a dream, definitely go forward and, and, you know, put in your best effort there. But also the reality is that, you know, not everyone is going to be admitted to these most highly selective or what we call highly rejective schools in the biz. So for your own peace of mind and to kind of find a place where you have a sense of belonging, definitely identifying some of those dream qualities in schools is something to start to work on early on. So that way you're not kind of like doing all that reflection, like what really do I want so late in the game? Um, Because that's going to be hard to balance that with, this is a great segue to our point number two, balancing that with just the Um, ramping up of intensity, I would say, of your high school schedule as you become an upperclassman at your high school campus.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And that is the perfect segue into our number two, which is that senior year from around whenever school starts, whether that's August or September to December is really busy. I remember that time kind of like a blur. It was just so much was happening. You could still be taking standardized tests at that time. You could be preparing your college applications. If you haven't already written your college essay, you could be writing it then. And then also taking your regular classes. Like there's a lot going on. So my advice for that is, if you can do anything early, do it early. And I I don't necessarily mean applying to college early because that's like a bigger strategic decision, But if as a junior, you can write your college essay, for example, or at least have a really good draft during that summer between junior to senior year, that could set you up to have a lot less stress in a very packed time uh, during that beginning of senior year.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would say front-loading whatever you can during that summer, possibly even beginning some of that brainstorming work for particularly, I'd say that personal essay, that (laughs) 650-word personal statement. Plug for College Essay Guy, you know, where I work, we have literally any resource you could imagine about trying to put together a personal statement that highlights your skills, qualities, values, and interests, and equipping you with tools to be able to communicate that to colleges, we have (laughs) Um, lots of different forms of media and ways that meet students where they're at. So that's definitely one area of the college process that kind of, regardless of where you apply, you know, say, say you are a student who you know, that you want to go to a school where they don't have any essay or application requirements. Sure. Then maybe you don't need to write a personal essay, but most likely for a lot of students, there's going to be a college on your list that requires some form of a personal statement. So since that is the one that's going to be the most needed as part of your Mm -hmm. process, that's going to be those are going to be some of the things to start to chip away at earlier on so that way you're not bogged down by fitting those into your schedule as a senior where you're typically you're more solidified in the clubs and organizations that you're involved in at that point maybe you potentially have a leadership position or two
0: mm-hmm.
1: that are requiring a lot of your time as well more so than when you were just starting out in high school and just attending the meeting for an hour a week now you're the one planning the meetings in addition right. to the responsibilities you have as a senior so Doing a little bit of foreshadowing of knowing that if you already think you don't have free time now, just know that in senior year with college applications, that is a whole ratio of it's basically an extra class that you're slotting your schedule that you're not getting graded for. So, thinking of it way and kind of budgeting out the time and just foreshadowing the inevitable procrastination that comes along with that and kind of the inevitable times where you get an essay prompt from a school or something that you're like, oh, I need to really think about how to do this. I can't just knock this out in an hour. You want to prepare yourself for that as much as possible. So definitely that personal statement work, having that be ideally as, you know, solidified as possible by the time you start your senior year. That's definitely the, probably the biggest tip I can give with front-loading work. Another one I would say is the application opens up on August 1st for the new application cycle. And that's typically when most colleges and universities will have updated College specific prompts. We call those supplemental essay prompts. Not all (laughs) schools have these, but a lot of particularly more selective colleges do. And the last thing you want to do, sometimes students are like, well, I'm not going to get caught down by the busy senior year and I'm going to get everything done during the summer. So sometimes students will actually write essay responses based on the previous year's essay prompts for colleges. Oftentimes they can reuse what they've done, but It often makes me so sad when a college changes their essay prompts from the previous application year, but the student, being ambitious or or trying to get a head start, started working on those college-specific prompts a little too early. So the personal statement that it's very unlikely that that's going to be modified in any you know drastic way in this coming application year, right? Um, Right. So that's one to definitely chip away with, but I you know my slight. Caveat and cautionary tale is there is such a thing as taking it to an extreme when it comes to being overly, I'd say, ambitious. The supplemental essays is definitely one where you you want to make sure after August 1st, that's when you can kind of start to transition your thought towards what you may want to include for those more college-specific prompts. Oftentimes, they ask students to write something about what you're interested in studying. So we call those like a why major essay. A lot of schools ask like, why do you want to go to this university? So that's called a why us essay. A lot of schools were asked you to write about an extracurricular activity that has, you know, high impact for you, um, Mm -hmm. an intellectual experience that was exciting, a conversation you had that was really tense or fraught, or talk about your identity and your lived experience and and what you, you know, how your life experiences have shaped you. Those are all topics that generally, like, you're going to see some combination of those, especially if you're applying to more selective colleges, but the actual wording of them and, and the real ask, you are not going to know for sure until... August 1st before your senior year starts so
0: yeah yeah that is such a great point because I was that way like I was like I'm gonna prepare everything in advance and I tried to look for any way that I could like help my future self I was always like make it less hard for my future self so writing my personal statement I did do that the the summer between junior and senior year and that helped a lot because even if it was like 90% finished by the start of senior year, that meant that I only had to kind of polish the rest of it, the beginning of senior year, instead of being like, oh, what am I gonna write about at all starting the beginning of senior year? But the supplemental essays is a great point because I feel like past me might've done something like that. (laughs) Might've written like some draft responses for last year's prompts, but they do. Sometimes colleges don't change them, a lot of times they do. So that's a great call out. Like, don't go. Don't too listen to
1: us much. too heavily, is what we're saying, basically. No.
0: Basically, that is what we're saying.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but speaking of doing things early and getting things out of the way sooner, or at least starting them, that brings us to number three, which is before your senior year, do a college tour. I'm just going to drop that one. Do a college tour. Ideally, though, you could do a couple. Visit a few different types of schools. um, And this is really so that even if you're in your sophomore year or especially if you're in your junior year, you can start to, like you said, Tom, identify those dream qualities. Do I want a large school or a small school? I've said in previous episodes that I really thought I wanted a large school. I was like, I want a huge university. And when I got to my first college tour sophomore year of a really big school, they were like, oh, there's like 60,000 students, class sizes range, but sometimes they could be, you know, three to 400 students in a, in a big lecture hall. And I was like, what? I just had no idea that that's what that meant. And sue me because I was a sophomore, you know, but I didn't (laughs) know that like, (laughs) I didn't know the amount of students really impacted the class size like that, but. Going on tours, I'm really glad that I did that early because if I hadn't, I might have applied to just all big schools. And then I would have realized quickly what that meant. Um, So definitely we recommend touring different types of schools, small, big, research universities, liberal arts colleges, all different kinds of colleges early. So you can start to get those dream qualities going.
1: Absolutely. It's such a great tip. And, and you know, I, in, in working with students, like what I'd say, the size point that you brought up is one of the ones where I often would, students would come to me saying exactly kind of what you said, like, I am sick of being in this small school and how everyone knows my business and like, yes! I'm ready to spread my wings and like be this and that. And I, I would say like, that's great. Like, have you, you know, visited different size college campuses to like, get a sense of like, what that actually looks like and be like, uh, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sometimes I, I think there's kind of like a temptation to be like, all right, there's so many qualities in terms of like how to put together my college list. So to make it less overwhelming for me, I'm going to just lean towards the ones that like, just like I'm sensing I would like most.
0: That Tom, oh. that is exactly what I did. That is exactly what I did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yes. it's tempting to do that because again, you want to kind of have there be some kind of filtration system in your mind with the over 2000 or so four-year college options that are out there in the U S mm-hmm. um, But definitely doing a college tour earlier on as a junior, perhaps during a school break is when many students will do that. Oftentimes there are instances, um, say for example, I remember at Pomona, President's Day was a really big tour date for us. And it was because we were all still, you know, kicking on the college end and, you know, students were still on campus, but many schools had break during that point in time. So high school students. So they were Mm -hmm. able to not have to take a lot of time off of school, but still be able to see the campus in full swing or kind of as it really would be if they were a student there. You can't always do that with all college tours because sometimes, for example, it, based on your schedule, your commitments, your extracurriculars, you may only be able to fit in those tours during a winter break or during a summer break before senior year where campuses are typically more quiet because a lot of the undergraduate students in particular are not there, especially if it's a right. res- more residential college. So there's things, always particularities kind of with wherever college tours volunteer schedule, but ideally you can find a time to see campuses. I would say lean on schools that are in your own backyard. So that way before you actually do like the colleges on your list per se. So if you're near a town or city where there is a larger research university and a smaller liberal arts college, before I'd say kind of prematurely being like, oh, I know I only wanna look at these types of schools. Maybe visit like, you know, two or three different flavors of schools, I would say, in terms of variance and hear the things that students talk about, see the things that are being highlighted by their campus tour guides, and just get a sense of the feel of a campus because it's it's something that it's hard to kind of like know from even fact sheets. And, and no matter how kind of like vivid or 3D VR videos exist of kind of experience in college campus. <laughs> It really isn't until I think you actually step foot there that you're able to kind of get a little bit more of the sense of like the vibes. Yeah. The vibe generation, right? So, like, really, and you all have a point that there's a reason why there's kind of, it's hard to define or put into words or capture really currently with any other form of media what a vibe is like of a place until actually seeing it with your own eyes. So, that's, I'd say, a great tip to do those college tours earlier on and not just do the ones that especially like for example i'd have people would be like oh this is my college tour list that i'm doing and i'm like oh these are all schools that have like a five percent acceptance rate so uh that's great but if you only go and tour those schools that like you hey you already know you're going to apply to like let's be honest right (laughs) it's not worth it to spend all your time and energy learning more about places that you've already bought into use that time and energy to learn more about the ones that you need to be convinced about or need clarity on either way. Oftentimes you go on tours and you realize a lot of the things that you like about that really highly selective school, there are places that have exactly the same program, exactly the same outcomes and elements that really align with what you're looking for in a school. So another tip there.
0: Um, I'm gonna scream, I'm gonna (laughs) scream. (laughs) Because yes, that oh my gosh. Okay, first of all, excellent point on you know, visit when you can, but if you can visit when school is in session for the college, that's great. Just to see like what students are doing, all that stuff. But then also that is such a solid point. Yes, you can visit the schools that you know you're going to apply to. And maybe some or a lot of them could be reach schools, which is fine. It's it's good to have a healthy balance of level likely and reach schools on your list. But you very well may find, as I did, that the schools that I looked at that I thought were likely schools, they had a lot of the same qualities as some of the level or reach ones. So don't discount them because this is like a whole other thing, but you, you, you want to like the colleges that are on your list. You don't want to just have random schools where you're like, I'm sure I'd get in. It'd be nice if you also liked it and like, got to see it and said, okay, if I ended up going here, I would be happy with that. And I also will throw in there, I was the kind of person where on my first college tour, I didn't want to ask any questions. Like my parents were raising their hand and I was like, put your hand down. We are not asking questions. (laughs) But as you kind of go on more college tours, that was on my first ones, sophomore year, like in junior year when I was like, okay, this is serious. This is where I could be going. I need to pay attention and ask my questions. I would say, don't be afraid to ask questions, even if you think they're silly questions or something like, because by the time that you actually get to the school, if you go there, the tour guide who you had is probably gonna be graduated. So I say that because the tour guide, they get absolutely ridiculous questions. So I am positive that whatever question you're asking is not silly and you might as well ask it because it's better to have more information than to walk away with questions. That's why you're on the tour to get your questions answered.
1: Totally. And even if even if they haven't graduated, the chances of them remembering you are so, so slim because no matter how embarrassing you think your question may be, like, trust me, as Elaine is saying, they definitely have seen worse. (laughs) I used to manage the tour guide program at Pomona and the students would come back with stories every single time they did a shift, which was (laughs) multiple times a week. Right. So you would have to really. Be putting on some antics during that tour to be that memorable. I would say, like, yeah. Um. So, and that's not to say that like you're not great. You know, you're not memorable, but like in the grand scheme of, you're not memorable in a good way. In, the in a way good way it makes you feel more secure stepping on that campus later on and not being like, oh gosh, remember that time like years ago. And also, you probably will have gone through some like miraculous glow up at that point too. You know, because we're all exactly every second of the day. So. <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah. And the students, they're doing their own embarrassing things. They can't be concerned with your quote unquote embarrassing question.
1: 100%. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. So number four on our list of essential things to do before senior year is to avoid being tunnel visioned or laser focused around testing. So Tom, I know this is one that you and I have talked about what are your thoughts on this? Like, how can students avoid being laser-focused, especially when junior year and even sophomore year, there's a lot of talk about testing and how important it is and you have to be scheduling your tests and all of that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So so I was doing, doing a little research just to provide some numbers, um, some updated facts and figures for the audience. Ooh. And as of August of this past year, the tally shows that a record 85% of U.S. bachelor's degree grant in colleges and universities will not require the ACT or SA for recent high school graduates who are applying this cycle. So 85%, right? And that's the number this year. It's only going to continue to increase as many colleges, especially during the pandemic, they implemented test optional policies because access to test sites were not available. But what sometimes students and families don't really know is that the test optional movement was already gaining a lot of traction based on research. Decades of evidence from various colleges and universities that had already adopted test optional policies shout out to places like Bowdoin Bates Holy Cross schools that have been test optional now for decades um, mm-hmm. so there was research on research that shows that your grades and your courses from high school no matter what type of high school you come from no matter the level of grade inflation or the curriculum that's offered in your school um, the University of Chicago did a study I think it was about you know or so years ago, that it's a five times better predictor of your ability to be a successful college student than standardized test scores. So, wow. people know this and they have known this for a long time. And increasingly, as this landscape evolves and as this kind of becomes more of the norm, and especially these more highly selective schools see that they've been able to bring in classes of students that are still driven and qualified and doing great things, just as the previous cycles of students who had testing. And now even more students can put their hat in the ring at places because there's a lot of issues with standardized testing when it comes to equity and when it comes to access to be able to, to, to nail this test well. And also just individual learning preferences and styles where you know the setting and the format of a standardized test does not always align with all students' learning preferences and their ability to shine as brightly as possible. So all that to say, the test optional movement is legitimate, and it is very much something that is the norm in the evolving U.S. college landscape at this point in time in history. So Mm -hmm. I say that to say, it's still very common for me to see students laser focusing on testing as kind of like their their gateway into these schools. And and what I always say to them is that, like, I know this may sound strange, but like as someone who used to read applications at a selective college for years, seeing like an you know, an SAT score that's over fifteen hundred to me, it's like you're numb to it. It's not you don't see yeah. it on a page you're like, oh wow, like a fifteen thirty. People don't know this, but like you actually see that all the time in an applicant to yeah. selective colleges. And I don't mean that to to stoke up anxieties or fears around like, oh well, I took a practice test and I'm I'm not even near close to that. You don't have to be. You don't have to be anymore. Like that's the thing. Yep. I understand maybe sometimes when students are nervous about, okay, well, are they really optional? Because are they going back and they're going to like dig through my records and find like old scores that I didn't submit or do some Nancy Drew detective work to like call college board or call ACT and figure out what I got. No, (laughs) these (laughs) officers have too much to do to be doing investigatory work on your testing history. And truly there's a lot of buy-in among admissions officers, especially of test optional, because oftentimes like anecdotally, There were kids that I really thought were an amazing fit for the colleges that I've worked for, but the testing was kind of one of the limiting aspects of their application and it made them less competitive. But I was like, dang, like if some of those kids were applying now, like there would be absolutely no reason for us not to admit the student. It was where was the hang up. So now you don't have to have this be, and it's funny, my cousin, Nora, like she was applying to college during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. which bless her soul. Right.
0: <laughs> and, Literally. Yeah. Bless.
1: Yeah. And so she called me up and was like, you know, and I had been you know working at a school at this point and she called me up and was like, Hey, like, you know, I'm not even thinking of taking the standardized tests at all because I don't like doing them and like none of my schools need them. So I'm kind of like, I'm like, so glad I don't have to like spend hours of my life studying and doing this. And I, yeah. I was like, absolutely. You do not. <laughs> so right. I, I wouldn't say necessarily, you know, her approach was just like, I'm not going to take these tests at all. Um, And she was also applying at a time where it was very difficult to actually be able to take them with the pandemic, you know, happening right. closing test centers. But for you, those of you applying now, you know, testing is back available. There's also now, you know, digital testing options that the SAT has rolled out. So taking the test is not as much of a barrier as it was for students applying early in the pandemic. But I really encourage you not to make testing your end-all be-all because I often find that students are kind of used to tying their self-worth to a grade or a score. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep.
1: And because that's kind of been a system of measuring excellence in your brain and in your mind, that's all you kind of really know. Unless you go to a high school where it's all like narrative evaluation, Mm -hmm. unless that's kind of the environment that you're coming from, most high school students in the US really equate their excellence with a certain number or metric or grade or measure. And the college application, yes, of course, the readers who are reading them are scoring you, for lack of a better word, in different areas. There's rubrics that they use and, and ratings about different elements of, of what you're putting together. But you're not starting at 100 in these applications. You're starting at zero, and everyone is. You are building, right. You are building up a case for yourself with different strengths and skills, qualities, values, and interests that you are communicating and showing to a college through your application as a body of work. They're not going through it and kind of looking for easy ways to knock you out of the running or, you know, red ink or minus five, because this and that. So, and I've touched on this point before in other episodes, but it's one that I like to underscore with testing as well, because I found that it's really easy for students to kind of get laser focused on. This is the thing that's going to get me in. I can, I can study harder to do this. I have control over this. And sure. In in some degree you do, but I really would say like revel in kind of the, the, The historical moment that you're applying, you know, you're applying with lots of other challenges in the world and Mm -hmm. that's not great, but this is actually, I'd say for most students, for those who do well on tests, you still can send them in. It's still going to be seen as a strength that you're contributing to a college, to their applicant pool that will, you know, only leave a positive impression. And for those where it's not your shining achievement, it's not the thing that you need to even worry about at this point in time for, for most colleges and universities out there. So right. yeah, it's my little testing soapbox that I like to go on for.
0: No, time. and I'm glad that you did.
1: Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so true. Like this is a unique moment in college application history where testing is not evaluated the same as it was in the past. And something like a, a test score, like you said, it feels like something that you can control. You can study harder to get a better test score and get into the school. But you're in this moment where a lot of colleges are test optional and they mean it. So, you know, if you want to test, you can. You can try out the SAT, the ACT, see which one works better for you, which one you like better or do better on and and then you can go with that. Or you don't have to send your test scores at all. So, it is definitely a unique moment and don't get too tunnel visioned about it.
1: Absolutely. And and one more piece of data, if you don't do it, data, I just want to put out there. So, NACAC, which is the National Association for College Admission Counseling, it's a big professional development network organization for colleges and universities, as well as college counselors who work with high school students. And they release, they do a poll pretty consistently for most years where they interview or they survey lots of different colleges and universities. And out of a sample size of 185 colleges and universities that responded to a poll about different levels of importance of factors in the admission process, back in 2017 when they did this the admission test scores was considerably important by 45% of the respondents to this survey but this year after the you know kind of test optional has become so much more ubiquitous that number has plummeted so it was you know back 2017 45.7% considerable importance in the admission process now today it's 4.9% market as considerably important No. that's literally you they literally knocked off a zero basically <laughs> went from 40 oh, yeah. something to four percent so all that to say like colleges are vocalizing and also communicating that Are there are other parts of the process that are they always kind of did have the the primary importance are your grades and your courses but yeah there's there's so much more evidence and security around the legitimacy of test optional that is continuing to be rolled out
0: yeah Wow, that's huge. That is a really huge difference.
1: Mm -hmm. Speaking of differences, point number five.
0: We're on our fifth one. And this is also something not to get tunnel vision done. And we don't even want you to get any vision on it. No vision at all. And that is chance me culture. Chance as in C-H-A-N-C-E, me. If you are not familiar at this point in your high school journey with chance me, It's, well, good, number one. Number two, (laughs) it's this kind of thing where you can go on a website, please don't go do it, and you can put in different stats about you. You kind of explain it, like, I am applying to XYZ school, this is my SAT score, this is my GPA, these are the classes I take, these are extracurriculars, chance me as in what are my chances of getting into that school that you mentioned? And then other people, usually students, but there's like no way to tell on the internet, will give you your chances. What it's based on, I actually don't even know what they base it on, but basically it's just you know a way to give yourself like a sense of security of like, oh, okay, good. They said I have like a, they, whoever the people are on the internet, said I have a 95% chance of getting into this school or, Crushing your dreams unnecessarily and being like the strangers on the internet said I have a five percent chance of getting in, so that's why Tom and I say number five is avoid chance me culture online at all
1: costs. Yeah, and you know, per usual, Olivia Rodrigo, the voice of <laughs> um, the, the of, of a voice of a generation, your um, <laughs> song "Jealousy, Jealousy" says, "Come comparison is killing me slowly. I think I think too much." About kids who don't know me, and I feel like chance me culture is pretty much exactly verbatim that scenario that many yep. students go through, and not just students applying through high school now, but I'd say just adolescents throughout the history of time. It's a it's a time in your life where it is very difficult to not compare yourself to other people, um, mm-hmm. and the reason why you know both Elena and myself are are really advocating against chance me culture is that it it just isn't helpful. Truly. And like, you're not getting good verified advice because what many students don't realize is that especially if they're not as familiar with the college admission landscape and process and how most schools read applications, there's never a scenario where kids from two different parts of the world who go to completely different high schools, have completely different courses available to them, opportunities, culture, you know, a small farm town in Iowa and a city kid from Chicago. Those are not comparable like right. files. It's not like you're picking one or the other, that those types of scenarios don't come up in the selective admissions process. What an admissions officer does is they look at what is available in your high school in terms of great uh, courses, curriculum that's offered. And then they look at what you have taken and they make essentially what they are doing is, you know to be very transparent, is they're essentially comparing what you have done to students who have applied previously from your high school. And if you're a new high school that has never sent in an application to a college, they really do as much of a deep dive on your high school's profile, which communicates a lot of information about what percent of students go on to four-year colleges, where students typically go to college, the curriculum that's offered, grading scale, you know, GPA scale, things like that. That's probably the area of this process that I see the most wasted time on by far. Like if mm. I was to look back and be like, okay, if you removed that element from your college search process, you would be gaining back not just hours, but probably like days of your high school life. Uh, yeah. With the amount of stress and worry about what's happening with kids all across the world at other high schools that honestly have nothing to do with your admission process. Right. What you really want to spend some time doing is learning about what it takes to be a competitive applicant at the colleges you're searching for from your own high school. And that is really the only vantage point and insight that you need as a tool to be able to assess as wisely as you possibly can some form of your admissibility at these various colleges and universities. Right. Right. And the, you know, the fact of the matter is that a lot of these more selective colleges in particular, most students who apply are academically viable. They're academically admissible, probably somewhere North of like three quarters of the applicant pool. So there's factors that are going to be outside of your control, but in terms of making yourself a competitive candidate in terms of GPA test score, if you're using that, all of those kind of metrics, it's really only your school's offerings and data that is valuable in making that assessment.
0: Right, right. And that does not mean like, oh, okay, so I'll do chance me with like a group of people from my high school. Eh, No, that's not the point. Like the point is that no one except the college admissions officers have all of the information that they're using when they're making these decisions yeah, like exactly whether you ask strangers on the internet or you ask students at your school it's not the same either way will give you unnecessary stress because it's not going to be accurate the only way that it's accurate is when you actually apply and then the admissions officer makes a decision like there's nothing else that you can do to try to predict it and if you are curious about what can i do to strengthen my chances That's where you can make a connection with an admissions officer at a certain school by emailing them or talking to them when they come to your school. If they don't do that, talking with your guidance counselor about, or college advisor, how can I show everything that I have to offer to this college? There are ways to do it. That is not chance me.
1: Amen to that. We're in total agreement.
0: Amen to that. So that's it, Tom.
1: If by chance me. You listened to the end of this episode. Um, we really hope that these tips that we provided to you are going to help give you a little bit of a sense of where to channel your energy at this point in time as a high school junior. What are some of the things that you can start to tackle and start to kind of make headway on at this point in time? And what are some things that make sense to kind of maybe put off till later on in the timeline based on a things like common app availability, August 1st, little particularities, or just be when it makes the most sense for your schedule, your development, and how to kind of approach this in a more healthy way. So thank you for <laughs> chancing us with your presence.
0: Oh, that was that was good. It that wasn't. was good. It doesn't
1: make any sense, but it, <laughs> but also it does.
0: But in a way, that's beautiful. <laughs>
1: well, the poetry that kind of makes you furrow your brow is the one that makes its way onto a home goods or Marshall's like suck <laughs> or decor. So, it's so yeah. great. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for your advice and students. Best of luck. And we know that you're going to have a great year. Hey. Bye.
1: Take care.